Hey, Fresh Capital listeners. In this episode, we're looking at Pinterest. Pinterest offers a visual search and scrapbooking platform where users can save, collect, and group images by themes. It has over 430 million users, but where does it fit in with big competitors like Instagram, TikTok, and Google looming over it? My take, I think they're ripe to be acquired with rumors that PayPal is in the hunt. This is a great episode to understand Pinterest business and the future of some of these social platforms. Keep listening and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week, we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn about companies and investing. My name is Dan, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Albert. Albert, how are you doing? Dan, I am going good. We just had a pretty good debate um, about Pinterest, who we're covering today, um, just now before we started recording, so I'm keen to just jump right into it. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm a little bit miffed uh, over our disagreements, but we're going to get into that as we break down Pinterest. Neither of us are are sort of users of Pinterest, Albert, but it's always been there in the background. I guess we can only have so many social media applications going. Do you know any Pinterest users? Uh, I do, actually. I do. When I was in high school, a lot of people I knew used Pinterest. Um, and I think I think a few people I know who've started to renovate their homes have used Pinterest. So, like, no one ever talks about, hey, I saw this great thing on Pinterest in the same way that they talk about, like, I saw this great TikTok or Reel. But I think it's one of those, like, things people have in their back pocket. Yeah, it's definitely a personal uh, product, as we'll get into. I think, you know, the, the founders of Pinterest really go to great lengths to say it's not a social media company, it's a personal media company. And we'll get into why that is in a moment. But a quick overview, Pinterest is an online product and idea discovery platform that helps users gather ideas on everything from recipes uh, to to destinations to travel to. It's founded in 2010, has a roughly 66%, so two-thirds of their audience are female, They have over 430 million monthly active users. And just like almost every one of these uh, somewhat social media companies, they generate almost all their revenue by selling ads on their platform. Um, If we talk a little bit about the product, um, it's basically arranged like a pinup board, like a cork board that you might have in the old-fashioned sense at home. You have, or users have what they call pins, where you can essentially have a post, which is like a visual photograph or whatever with, you know, some subtitles or some sort of quotes about a particular thing. It might be recipes. It might be, you know, how to earn money on a side hustle. It might be dating tips, these sorts of things. These are organized according to a board where you can pin those pins Um, And then there's a a search function for users to then search what other people are putting on their boards, what other people are pinning. Obviously, trending searches and things can then be aggregated onto a home feed for you. So it's almost like a a very visual version of Facebook early going um, and very much so like more shorter form content. Anything else to add to that, Albert? Yeah, I I think well, it's kind of a, a product discovery business. And it's funny because when I was thinking about Pinterest, it kind of merges a lot of companies that we've spoken about into one. 
you know, previously we talked about Wish, which is another product discovery e-commerce tool. It's kind of similar to Snapchat where it's about uh, visual imagery sharing, kind of similar to Facebook's uh, Instagram product, um, but kind of all rolled into one. What I would add is that Pinterest is really good at monetizing what people don't know what they want because it's all about product discovery, where a regular social media product is really all about monetizing what people may want or what they know they want. So if you go to Google, you type in like best sneakers or like Nike sneakers, it will show you ads based on what you've searched or Facebook will show you ads based on what you've liked. Where Pinterest, because when you log in, it goes through that home feed that you mentioned, Dan, it shows you a bunch of different products that you don't even know you're looking for. So it really is all about monetizing what people don't yet know what they want, which is really interesting. It is. And in a similar vein, I think what you could compare Pinterest to away from the Facebooks and such are what you might call taste curation platforms, which is like your Netflixes or your stands. Because when you log into your account for Netflix, for example, it's not trying to show you movies that you've already seen. It's trying to show you movies that it thinks you might like based on your past viewer history, et cetera, et cetera. And that's exactly what you're saying, Albert. You know, someone who's redesigning their home, like some of your friends, they might be searching for certain things and how the algorithm really kicks in is it starts showing things which it's predicting you might also like and popping it up into your home feed and trying to drive advertisements to that as well. So really, really interesting business. But I want to first, Albert, sort of dive into this idea of personal media against social media. And the company's line about this really is about it's cultivating private online spaces for inspiration and planning. It's not like social media as we know it, where there's a very public follow account, you know, comparisons between yourself and others, whether that be body image or lifestyle or whatever. It very much is like these personal pin boards, which you can then sort of navigate across. And it's it's entirely inspirational. Like you're looking at your dream home, you're looking at these travel destinations or something as, sim- as simple as like what recipes you want to be cooking for your diet or to get fit, that sort of thing. The line they use is it's uh, visualizing the future helps bring it to life. That's what they're trying to give to their users. Is that a more bankable product from an advertising perspective, Albert? Because I, I think it might be. Yeah, to be honest, I, I think so too. But I think it's bankable because they combine their product discovery elements with this like private vault of collections and and pins that a user puts together. So everything that is stored in someone's Pinterest account generally are things that they're really interested in, which means when you're advertising to that particular user, you know that this is something within their wheelhouse. So if I'm trying to renovate my home, you know, I'm looking at different pictures of homes you know, maybe I'll see a really nice study setup, and I, you know, in, in the study setup, someone will have taken a photo of, you know, their computer desk with a really nice like pencil case. I personally don't know I want a pencil case, but now I've seen this product that looks really nice, and advertisers know that I'm looking for a new desk. I'm doing a renovation because that's what my board is. Now they can start to advertise specifically based on my needs rather than my interactions with other people. And so, based on that, I actually do think it is a, a bankable. Uh, product in a bankable advertising business. And it, it actually does show in some of their metrics that I'm sure we'll get into. 
Well, let's start with some of the top line metrics, Albert. They have, as I mentioned at the top, about 430 million monthly users. About 86 million or around one fifth of that are based in America, which makes you know the remaining 320 odd million uh, global users from around the world. There's a reasonable following here in Australia and other places. The way Pinterest divided up is Canada and I think Asia Pacific, which is sort of like a weird uh, mix. Um, <laughs> that is they, a weird mix. I've never seen that before. <laughs> they've got a declining monthly active user profile. So I think during the pandemic particularly, they really did spike above what they are now and they're starting to come down from that. Is there something to be concerned about there, Albert, with those metrics? And feel free to add in any metrics you're bullish of. I think this is the, one of the hinge points for our conversation previously before we start recording. So they have slowly kind of declined their user base from, from a peak um, early in, in 2021. And then part of that is kind of COVID adjusted where everyone's kind of at home. You're looking for things to do. Some people go into day trading. Some people go into renovations. You know, some people use Pinterest to help them frame up where they want to do day trading and what renovations that they want to do. Um, but now that things are opening up, particularly internationally and overseas, um, you, well, internationally and domestically, sorry, not internationally and overseas, uh, people want to go out and do things. And so Pinterest users are starting to decline as they take their attention elsewhere. I don't necessarily think it's a huge problem. You know, it's a pretty small decline month on month. What to me is particularly impressive is even though their user base has declined, their revenue has still increased. So their top line revenue has grown are 52% year on year, really driven by international growth. But what this signals to me is the quality of their user base has gone up. So that even though that their users have declined, the users have left are people who didn't use Pinterest or didn't find value in Pinterest. Now the users have stayed are people that they could really directly advertise to because they're interacting and engaging with Pinterest in a meaningful way. So even if user base numbers are declining, they're squeezing more money out of the users who are existing, which has shown really strong revenue results. So I think the the crux of the arguments that we were having, Albert, does rest on this point. And it's not that I'm saying Pinterest is in a bad spot because, as you say, uh, they're almost making lemonade from lemons, which is they've got a declining user base, but they're still generating more revenue. And you'd much rather have that than the opposite being like an increasing user base but declining revenue. You'd much rather the revenue to be going up. But all things being equal, you'd rather your user base to be going up and your revenues to be going up. And I think that's where my concern is. They had this year, year and a half with COVID where they saw like a real boost to their product. And I suspect that a better management team you know, a better product should have been able to capitalize on that. And I'm concerned that there's like, there doesn't seem to be this lasting effect from that bump. And in particular, I think it's because they're a little bit late to the game with their, what you might call like payment integration or almost commercialization of their product. So it's really sort of only recently that they're pushing into the sort of social commerce wars. And we've talked about this with Instagram and particularly with uh, Alibaba and some of the Chinese products where they've got this perfect integration of you know, being able to buy a product as you browse some of the sort of social media 
type platforms. So Taobao, we talked a lot about. You could have, you know, someone, a farmer, essentially selling you apples or oranges on the on the platform, and you can swipe and buy that product while you're viewing this sort of live stream. Similarly, with Instagram, they've got these integrations where you know you can swipe up, you can swipe for an ad, and you can buy a product pretty seamlessly. It's only recently that Pinterest has been adding these integrations with Shopify so that people can actually buy products without leaving the platform. That's why I'm thinking you're seeing this jump in revenue is because they're capitalizing on this. But my take is, geez, wouldn't it have been nice if they did that sooner? Because they could have capitalized on that bigger influx of people during COVID I just feel like they came a little bit late to the party to what we now know to be sort of a no-brainer, which is you want to keep people on your app, you want them to buy things in the cart, and you don't want them to leave and go elsewhere because that affects the conversion rate that you have. I mean, they were still faster to the mark than Facebook was. So, uh, you know, if you're talking about frictionless social commerce where you can buy things in-app, you know, Facebook only rolled out um, shop on Instagram very recently you know, in the past six, 12 months. And with Pinterest, I think I've had it for a number of different years, maybe two years now, and only have just integrated their Shopify stores. Um, so they are still early to the mark um, in terms of their competitors. And I think if you compare the two, you know, they're, they're really the only leading social commerce platforms uh, in the Western world at the moment with, you know, you've got Alibaba and obviously we've talked about social commerce a lot particularly in Eastern markets, in some of the companies we've discussed, C, Alibaba, et cetera. Um, I think Pinterest have done the right thing by moving into, you know, kind of frictionless payments. If you think about what you're trying to do on Pinterest, which is look at different items and then you get advertising based on items, like the, obviously the next step is to do that full stack integration, which is instantly buy things that you see you want to remove people going outside of your app. Uh, so I don't necessarily think that, um, you know, them being slow to the mark is necessarily a bad thing, Dan. Like their revenue has still grown significantly, you know, in the previous years, um, which goes to show how strong the advertising business is, even without uh, instant payments and instant shopping. Well, let's talk about advertisements, Albert, because I've been really pleased as we've done the last maybe month or so of episodes where we've covered you know, Snap, we've covered Twitter. We're getting a really, I think, well-rounded view on the difference between these social platforms, what makes them tick, and the just general, I guess, market assessment of these platforms. And I hope the listeners are getting that too. One of the most interesting things is this idea of, you know, not every social media platform is equal in what they can offer advertisers. And we've talked at length about some of the changes that Apple, for instance, has made to their iOS privacy settings, which makes it just more difficult for them to sell to advertisers a complete view of who they're targeting and what kind of conversion rates, et cetera, that they're getting. That really affects Twitter. It really affects Facebook, which is why they had a bit of a dip recently um, with some of their user growth and revenues declining. I don't think it affects Pinterest. And the comparison, which I think you've made before, Albert, is Google is the perfect advertiser. People type into the search bar 
exactly what they want to buy, which makes it so easy to pair that to an advertiser. Because as you say, someone types in best Nike sneakers, the first advertisement can be for Nike sneakers. It's very, very simple. Whereas Instagram or Facebook, for instance, might have to profile you know, a young male in their 20s to, to 30s who really likes looking at this influencer who does a lot of sneakers and all that sort of stuff and profile them to before they can offer that same sort of advertiser. There's just a bit more friction to it. Pinterest to me is much more in the Google category because people do in their search bar type things like, you know, DIY desk, home decor, charcoal couch for living room. I think it's really easy to match them up with advertisers, which I think is great news for the future for Pinterest because their product inbuilt is perfectly, I think, for advertisers and will weather some of these you know, headwinds from apps and platforms changing their algorithms or, or protocols. Yeah, I think you're right. So if you try to compare the two, search itself is input-based and binary, which is when you think about Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. It needs different inputs from users in order to generate an advertising profile. So that's why it collects data from different apps and, and what you've searched, use, what your cookies are storing because that's all input data. Whereas with Pinterest, they run a completely different model for their algorithm. It's visual data. And so input data from other apps is actually not that useful for Pinterest because they want to see what users are looking at and what they're engaging with as opposed to what they're searching and what they're engaging with. So as you log into Pinterest, you first get a bunch of different pictures that don't necessarily have much rhyme or reason or pattern to them because they're trying to get to see what you're engaging with from a picture perspective. So if you start to click, you know, desk, renovations, DIY kitchen, then it starts to build a profile for you based on the things that you like in your aesthetic rather than your inputs. And I think this shows in their um, 2021 results as well, which has come out. And I think, Dan, this might be one of the first companies have done who've reported for the full year, which is um, pretty exciting. Um, you know, Pinterest, they didn't have a decline in revenue for the year. They grew by 52%. Um, so it really shows that even though Apple has restricted some of their permissions and they talk about this in their um, annual report, it hasn't really had a material impact on uh, their revenue growth, unlike, say, Facebook. Now, there's an interesting stat or metric that you came up with, Albert, comparing uh, the, I guess, the the monetization we place on a Snapchat user compared to a Pinterest user. Do you want to go into that a little bit? Yeah, so uh, I think broadly you can value uh, a user in two different ways. It's like an internal metric, which is what we call ARPU, which is how much revenue this user actually generates. That's a pretty standard metric. Um, what I've been looking at is like the market value of a user, which is like the external market, like us as shareholders. What price do we value a user on Pinterest? And so uh, this is a ratio that just divides, you know, the current day market cap um, by number of users. Obviously not that scientific because market cap obviously fluctuates. Um, but our high level right now, our Pinterest users are substantially are valued substantially less than Snapchat users, which I think is probably the most direct comparison. Pinterest users are valued by the market are about $38, where Snapchat users are valued about $200. But interestingly, Snapchat ARPU is lower than Pinterest. So even though Snapchat users 
generate less money for Snapchat, the market actually thinks this user is more valuable than a Pinterest user who actually generates more money for Pinterest. I think what this signals to me, Dan, is that the difference in not only the valuation, because that drives that, but um, what the market believes these users are actually accomplishing. So a Snapchat user tends to be much younger demographic, you know, around the 16 to 24 mark from our Snapchat episode where Pinterest users are completely opposite. They're, you know, mostly over 30, um, some over 40. And so because of that, the market believes if you've advertised to a Snapchat user, they're going to be more loyal because they're younger and they may not have much experience with other brands and therefore they're going to be a stickier and more valuable customer. Whereas for a Pinterest user, because they're much older and they know exactly what they want or know what they could want or have a very specific use case, like they're really looking for renovations, um, the value of this user at the marketplaces is much lower because there's less things to advertise towards. But I think my thesis is that should be flipped, is that Pinterest users, because they're older, have a lot more disposable income, have money to spend, unlike Snapchat users, you know, kids are volatile, they're going to go through different changes, their values aren't aligned. Um, You know, they may have big fluctuations in their lifestyle um, and therefore can't afford to buy things that are advertised to them. I think Pinterest users should be valued highly. Yeah, I think one of the the ways I'd sort of um, translate that, Albert, is Really what we're saying is that if we break down social media companies just to the amount of users they have, you know, Facebook with 2 billion or whatever across all their their platforms, Snapchat with their hundreds of millions, Pinterest with their hundreds of millions, why is it that as investors, you know, the share price of Snap as a market cap, as you say, Albert, is so high and then when you divide that by the amount of users, it comes out to that 200 mark and then the Pinterest at a much, much lower mark. And I think there's there's merit in in taking that assessment, not to determine what the actual value of these customers are, but really just to say, wow, is is Snapchat's product you know that many times better than Pinterest's product? Are they really monetizing their users in that way? And as you say, Albert, the sniff test doesn't pass. Like I don't think there's any world really, as an advertiser, where I can think Snapchat is that much better of a place for me to spend my dollars than Pinterest. And I, I think I would side with you when I say Pinterest is probably where I'd want to put my money because I think the conversion rates, et cetera, would probably be much better. You know, if I'm looking to hit a wider market and there's some brand recognition, I'm looking for different metrics there, maybe I would be going to Snapchat. But from a pure, you know, buying, shopping experience, that sort of thing, I think Pinterest as a platform has got a lot of legs in it of where it could go. And I want to sort of sit on that for a second to just talk about how Pinterest does go about with its advertisements because this is something we haven't broken down in different platforms and they would use a variety of these mechanisms. But one of the mechanisms that Pinterest really relies on is this idea of ad auctions, which I'm not sure if you've come across, Albert. But the idea is that there's sort of like an automated approach where bids are managed by Pinterest and updated a couple of times a day or several times a day. And it aims to get 
the most clicks on a pin at the lowest possible cost for an advertiser. So that's, you know, if they've put up an ad, which is serving as a visual pin, you know, they're trying to drive as many clicks as possible while charging the least amount of money back to the advertiser. So really trying to give them value for what they're they're after. And in that way, it's not as simple as, uh, you know, putting out an ad in a newspaper where there's a fixed price of like, I have to pay $100 for my advertisement to go out. Instead, you know, advertisers have sort of a rough estimate of how much money they're going to spend. They indicate what they want to prioritize, whether that be impressions, video views, clicks, or what you'd call conversion events, which is like adding an item to a cart or checking out with it. And then the algorithm will try and match up a particular user with that advertisement um, and then they'll charge them afterwards depending on the rate which might be cheaper than the estimate or might be a little bit more so it's a really interesting way in which it matches up advertisers and I'm interested to to hear if you've sort of come across this across other platforms and how it sort of plays out for these uh, apps in the future yeah I I can't remember if if um, Facebook also has a similar auction platform um, I know that they do both, which is fixed fee. You know, you put out, I want to spend $1,000 and then we'll do this. Um, I have seen auctions before. I think we had Kogan or Wish or one of the low-cost providers do auction-based um, advertising to ensure that you, their customers, as in the advertising customers, had the lowest spend. I think this, to me, makes sense, especially given that um, the majority of their revenue come from performance advertising as opposed to like brand awareness and campaigns. You know, we talked about the difference between the two during our Twitter episode. But given that so much of Pinterest is really about product discovery, it makes sense that you want to lean more towards a very specific product and therefore do performance advertising to try drive conversions and then selling those conversions or the possibility of conversions back as advertising to their customers as opposed to doing a broad brand campaign because on the platform, broad campaigns probably just won't work given the use case for what Pinterest is. Like no one's being like, yeah, I'm thinking about a particular type of shoe. What are the best shoes? They're really looking for I want the perfect desk or table or, um, you know, closet, et cetera, um, for my home. Yeah, and another way of looking at that is is – you know, when you look at Google, when you type in something into the search bar, you're not really going to the second and third uh, search page of Google. And likewise with Pinterest, you know, I think when you do your first initial search, you have the top trending results which match with that search. Um, but, uh, you know, if, you, if you're not hitting in that top range, then you're not really looking elsewhere. So it, as, as you say, Albert, it's less of an exploratory platform. Whereas if you think of Instagram Reels, TikTok, you could be swiping and for sure. uh, just for, for hours, for, for hours, sure. just going down the wormhole. Pinterest is, is not designed for you to go down the wormhole. For sure. No one is typing um, DIY renovations into Google and then clicking images to find inspiration. Like Google is not good at visual search and there are not many companies who are particularly good at visual search because it, it's so hard to do and do well. Um, but for Pinterest, you know, they've, they've really got this down pack like, you know, even Instagram aren't that great at doing visual search, but Pinterest, uh, I think it's like an advertiser's dream in terms of trying to convert a very specific user base. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Albert, 
because I think that plays a little bit into my uh, framework about mm, Pinterest. It's a good company, but have they really, uh, you know, satisfied or reached their potential that they could have been? And Instagram is such an interesting comparison because if you look at early days Instagram, that was sort of Pinteresty, wasn't it? Wasn't it? It was like you just had the photos, you just had the images. Um, it was more of a web-based platform than a mobile platform. And Pinterest and Instagram have since gone in very different directions, but arguably Instagram fulfilled you know, their maximum potential. I'm not sure if Pinterest has fulfilled theirs. Yeah, I, I don't even know if we've even hit Instagram's maximum potential yet. Like there's still so much more potential with what Instagram could be. And if you take even just half of that and apply that to Pinterest, like I think you're right. Like I think Pinterest has nowhere near even reached its potential or really understood what its potential could be. Like it, it could be the visual discovery tool, but it's it's not and it hasn't got there yet. It could be the um, social e-commerce tool uh, that's used in the Western world but it hasn't yet and, and it could now that it's integrating with Shopify and independent stores. It could now that it's integrating, you know, search and shop um, as a product. Um, but, you know, I think we'll see. In, Pinterest has a huge potential and obviously because it has a huge um, market size ahead of it, like it's TAM is, you know, multiple trillions of dollars. Um, but, you know, it's yet to see whether Pinterest actually grows into that TAM or not. So what interests you next, Albert? I've got a, a topic I want to hit on before we finish up, but I'll throw it to you first. I think to, to me it's two things. It's like how do they get the creator economy to push further and further into Pinterest? And when I say creator economy, I, I don't mean like people like us who are making podcasts. I mean the people who run their stores of Instagram, the people who run their stores of, Pin, or of Shopify, you know, niche independent stores who are serving a very specific purpose. How do you start to get... Um, bricks and mortar onto Pinterest and push further into kind of like SMB retail, enterprise retail, because people still browse the websites for different products. Like people will still go to IKEA to browse for that. And they're looking at IKEA desks to understand how they do that. And they're looking at, you know, Bunnings or Masters or all these different companies to showcase different renovations through blogs. But how do you start to onboard those customers and move that to Pinterest is, is what I want them to start to solve for. That's the first. The second is how you just keep competing, especially internationally. Like obviously Pinterest have done really well internationally and more so than a lot of US-based businesses. Um, to have their user base kind of completely inverted is, is rare for a US business because we often see them have a strong presence in the US and maybe max out their TAM in the US um, and then struggle overseas. Whereas um, Pinterest have done really well overseas. And, and so I want to see them really push and compete against, you know, the Alibabas and the Wishes and the Tencents um, and whether they can do that. It's, you know, a difficult thing to do. I really want to stick on that first point, Albert, about the creator economy because it, it's something which I think a lot of the social media platforms are sort of looking at when you look at youtube they've built out so much of their business around the idea of user-generated content and then being able to pay their content creators so that they can have a living which then means they can invest full-time into producing content for youtube and then that drives their whole ecosystem likewise for instagram you know you want to make sure that your top top influencers are able to generate money on your platform 
which is partly why you put in these integrations so that they can have advertisements with products, et cetera, so that they're more likely to stay, produce content, help their customers, that sort of thing. Pinterest doesn't have really as much that ecosystem and it's a little bit like Twitter as well. It's it's hard to uh, have as direct sort of like a top influencer or content creator program. Um, you would obviously be paying them in some sense for the sort of clicks they generate or the ad revenue which their boards or pins generate. But again, I just I don't think it necessarily uh, meshes with their ethos. I think it goes a little bit down to the culture that these apps have. YouTube, I think, has a very entrepreneurial spirit about it. You know, you're creating this content for a particular niche to a particular audience uh, and you're delivering it, whether it be news, whether it be financial advice, whether it be, you know, just lifestyle. This is me. This is what I do. Pinterest is like, you know, it's about things that you aspire towards. It's very much like an introspective look in it's not really designed for that social following uh, in the way that a YouTube or an Instagram is. And so I think it's much harder to create a content creation ecosystem within the platform. Interestingly enough, you know, Pinterest have highlighted this in some recent earning calls. They've brought on uh, as part of their content creation team an executive who came from YouTube. So they're clearly looking at what they've done in that space. But they were particularly, I think, taken by this person's experience, not with uh, just the normal content creation from YouTube, but the family-friendly kids sort of videos on YouTube. The parallel there being, you know, it's it's less about money generation, that sort of thing, but much more about like a wholesome experience for kids on YouTube. There's not really a monetary incentive there. And likewise, they're trying to th- pair that in with Pinterest where again it's not so much the monetary incentive it's more this wholesome experience that they're trying to to bring into play I just wonder whether that's just too hard of a problem to really solve but they're they're clearly looking in that direction and I I think Pinterest is the platform to do that like as you talk about wholesome interactions something that comes to mind is because of the kind of individualistic nature of Pinterest you don't necessarily have to worry about the same challenges that other social media products do. Like, you know, Facebook and Twitter are always on the news about, you know, safety, censorship, about free speech, you know, about a whole range of things, um, you know, the alt-right, et cetera, um, and how different kind of radical groups are using these two platforms. Like no one is talking about Pinterest in that way because, <laughs> you know, it's so individualistic and it's so based on product discovery and, and the images that they put up. No one's making like an alt-right board on Pinterest. You know, they're using it to plan their home and you're not interacting with other people. So it doesn't necessarily have the safety concerns um, that other social media have. So if you talk about how to build uh, a wholesome experience, uh, I think Pinterest is potentially um, the right platform to do that. The point I wanted to bring up, Albert, was about the leadership team, but also just sort of pivoting to what I think the future of Pinterest is arising out of that. So there's been some problems at the top uh, and we've talked about how we should be mentioning a lot more about the leadership teams in some of our breakdowns because for the average investor, you just have no idea who's running these companies and the performance of these companies is completely tied to the performance of these executives. 
Um, their former COO, Francois uh, Broher, she recently sort of exited the company, suing them for wrongful dismissal. That's not a good look, but probably more concerning are her claims that, you know, there's a culture at the company of their top, exe- top executive women uh, sort of being sidelined and not listened to. That's been taken up by Pinterest. They've got, you know, these plans in place by 2025, increased diversity, representation, et cetera. Uh, their co-founder, Evan Sharp, late last year in October, decided that he's stepping down and he was overseeing their design and product teams. There's just clearly turmoil at the top. And that brings me to what I think the future of of Pinterest is. I think they're going to get acquired. You know, I think there's some red flags here where we've got, in my view, I know it's not your view, Albert, like a little bit of a failure to capitalize on the last year or two. So there's some execution challenges that remain and they haven't solved. We've got a co-founder who's now recently departed and therefore is not going to be as invested in the company. And you've got reports late last year that PayPal was looking to acquire Pinterest in a deal. And that meshes with this play they have where they're trying to increase integrations with Shopify and commercialize their product. PayPal as clearly like one of the perfect um, companies to deal with in meshing your financial integrations with your product would be a great match for them. And a co-founder can then sort of cash out. They've exited the business, they get the money, et cetera. I I see too much smoke and too much... um, matching of interest for this maybe to not play out in the next year or so, Albert. You've got your own thoughts on this, but that's my prediction for Pinterest. It's I think the executive team is starting to check out. The challenges are too hard and you get in a money bags acquirer like PayPal to buy them out. I think it's too good to be true or too good not to be true rather. Did you did you see the um the memo that the CEO wrote saying that the Pinterest culture is toxic and needs to be fixed? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. But that, that goes to the point. Yeah, I, I think you know the the CEO, um, you know Ben Silberman, um, you know is is obviously very interesting, a bit of a maverick. Um, you know, he he. I'm kind of reading this article where he's been quoted. He he lives in a continuous state between terror and joy, um, and I think he's also very deliberate about how Pinterest grows. Like he doesn't see Pinterest as the company that optimizes for like crazy Silicon Valley-style growth, but more about sustainable long-term growth. Um, I I think potentially Ben is a bit of a visionary and and could lead Pinterest to be a really great company. But, you know, if he's acknowledged that Pinterest culture is broken and needs to be fixed, I think obviously there's things there that need to change within the company. Um, So, you know, Pinterest potentially um, needs a a proper, like a cutthroat management-style um, just to, to push through. I think the other point um, then, Dan, that you raised is around acquisitions. And, and to me, the, the most obvious one is probably Shopify. Like Shopify have already partnered with Pinterest. I think to me it makes sense from what Shopify can offer their merchants and vendors is the opportunity to do product discovery within their stores and then overall product discovery to find more Shopify stores. It kind of reinforces the Pinterest and Shopify flywheel, which is like product discovery leads to more products being sold in Shopify, which means to more people using Shopify, 
more people using Shopify leads to more people, you know, using Shopify as a store, you know, more Shopify, blah, blah, blah. So that, that flywheel just, um, perpetuates it. To me, Shopify is, is probably the more appropriate um, acquisition partner. And then uh, Stripe, I know Stripe's private at the moment uh, and they've obviously got a lot of cash and so they could probably easily um, take Pinterest, even though they're a $16 billion company, private if Stripe decide to raise or kind of flex their um, VC backing to take Pinterest private. Uh, so potentially Stripe to kind of move further into a retail e-commerce play to compete against the Shopify's, Amazon's, et cetera, of the world. Yeah, I mean, to me, it, it's as simple as this. It's you're facing challenges as, a, as an executive team to maximize your potential. You've got this great user base and you're trying to compete with companies which honestly are, you know, 10 times bigger than them, which is like Instagram, et cetera, Facebook. You have to ask yourself as a company, can we do this alone or do we need a partner to sort of help us out? And I think the answer to Pinterest's problem is that they are going to need a partner to help them out and that partnership is most likely going to take the form of it's a bigger partner who's going to swallow them up and, and essentially acquire them. To me, that that's just easily the, the most likely future for them. Whether that happens quickly uh, or happens, you know, perhaps over the next year or two years plus, I think that's probably what the potential of Pinterest will max out to be. Uh, and what's what that means for investors, what that means for sort of retail investors like us, Al, but just to sort of lay it down for the listeners is, you know, you might look at Pinterest now and you think they're probably going to get bought at a much higher price. And so there's, you know, a short-term gain that you can perhaps be looking to invest in if that's the thesis that you believe in. Or more long-term, what you're hoping for is that the right partner does buy up Pinterest and that through that partnership over the next forward-plus years, they're really going to maximize the potential, grow together, grow the valuations, whether they remain split or, or bring it in-house. And that's sort of like the PayPal, or sorry, the um, Afterpay Square model is if you're investing in them long-term, you're just hoping that they're both going to really uh, provide synergies for each other and increase the mutual value of each other. Yeah, I, I think then the bull case of Pinterest not getting acquired is that they can, um, you know, remove friction from being a product discovery tool to being a, a product shopping tool. And so you keep users engaged by enabling them to use Pinterest for e-commerce, not just discovery. And then the, the bear case is obviously that, you know, they, they can't convert that proximity to purchase and people still go elsewhere to buy things, leading to you know the decline in in users and overall Pinterest's value as an organization. All right, Albert, what's your verdict? I like Pinterest. You know, this is a company that is performing incredibly well. I think it's it if it can execute on kind of this shift to e-commerce, then they've got a lot of upside. But to me, all the things that I like are there. Obviously, performing well, stripping out cost. Like they're a profitable business, Dan. I know you like a bit of profit out there in the income statement. But yeah, profitable business, um, which is rare for um, a Silicon Valley tech company. So props to Pinterest. Um, you know, they've, they've got a very sticky user base, growing well, performing well, expanded internationally. Um, I think Pinterest has uh, potentially a lot of upside um, and, and long term uh, could be a very successful business. 
Yep, I agree with all of that. Uh, for me, though, what they need to be successful is you know the right integrations, the right commercialization of their product, and the right execution of their vision, which you know their their leadership team and the uh, reported culture around the team I don't think is going to be able to see them through. To me, that means someone external is going to come in with a helping hand. Uh, and as we've just talked about, Albert, I, I think that's going to be an acquisition, which I think long-term is, is probably the best thing for Pinterest. I think they will maximize whatever potential they have in the hands or stewardship of someone else. Uh, but with that, let's finish up. Thank you for listening to Fresh Capital, a podcast about companies and investing told in a refreshingly simple way. If you haven't already, you know, rate us five stars in the app, click those buttons, We've had a few people actually send us some emails with some kudos, some good words and et cetera. We find that really, really nice to see in the inbox. So if you've got nice things to say, send them our way. We're always happy to hear the feedback. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.